Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal, On The Hoof. Hello, my name is Chris Neal and welcome to this edition of the Equine Veterinary Journal's On The Hoof podcast, which we summarise a selection of accepted early view articles awaiting print. Today we focus on a paper accepted in February 2021, reported the ultrasonographic and MRI characteristics of oblique and distal sesamoidian ligament injuries attempted to identify prognostic factors that may influence outcome. The primary authors were Alex Hawkins and Roger Smith, who collaborated with other colleagues at the Royal Veterinary College in the United Kingdom when performing the study. The distal sesamoidian ligaments connect the proximal sesamoid bones to the palmar or plantar proximal and middle first phalanx. It considered extensions of the expensory apparatus. Injuries to the ligaments are rare, However, when diagnosed, they have been difficult to image without high-field MRI. Furthermore, prognosis is variable, ranging from a 40 to 76% of chance to full athletic function. Given this uncertainty and impracticalities or availability of high-field MRI, the authors reviewed retrospectively the records of 51 horses of varying breeds diagnosed with oblique or straight distal sesamoidian ligament injuries, both on ultrasonography or low-field MRI. They sought to identify more consistent features associated with diagnosis and prognosis. The clinical records of horses examined, imaged and treated by ACVS or ECVS diplomats between 2002 and 2018 were reviewed. Cases were worked up completely, including with objective gait analysis in 20% during initial diagnosis. Transverse and longitudinal images of both ligaments were obtained with Doppler oxenography occasionally employed in the non-weight-bearing limb. In select cases, 0.27 Tesla MRI images were reviewed and compared if available. Adjunctive imaging such as radiography, contrast radiography, high-field MRI under general anaesthesia, nucleus integrography and contrast tonography were also analysed. Treatments, both conservative and surgical, were also examined and reasons for their choices and success rates considered. The authors noted that the vast majority of horses referred and diagnosed with oblique, the most common lesion identified as previously has been reported in the literature, or straight sesamoidian ligament desmitis had been lame for over two months. Most horses showed a mild to moderate lameness, median of 2 out of 10, that was positive to distal inflection. Oblique sesamoidian ligament injuries are more likely to be focally painful and swollen, which is best appreciated with the limb non-weight-bearing, than straight where less than 50% of cases show pain or swelling on palpation. This is likely due to the differing anatomical locations of the ligaments, with the latter hidden behind the digital flexor tendon. The blocking pattern usually involved a negative or partial response to palmar digital nerve block, with sound was produced by an abaxial nerve block. Interestingly, 78% were positive or partially positive to digital flexor tendon seat anesthesia where used whereas 65% showed no improvement to fetlock anaesthesia. This was considered to be due to diffusion of local anaesthetic. The authors identified pathology consistent with injury to the two structures in over 80% of cases with ultrasound. The majority of oblique sesamoidian ligament injuries involved the proximal portion, and in the forelimb were medial, whereas in the hindlimb were lateral. This is consistent with the accepted loading patterns between the limbs correlates with the increased incidence of medial suspensory branch injury noted in the forelimbs of thoroughbreds. Probe orientation required additional palmaro or plantaro medial or lateral positioning to identify lesions, 
with comparisons made to the contralateral limb, whilst taking care to avoid confusion with off-instance artefacts. In contrast, straight sesamoidin ligament injuries were most commonly noted in the body and not the proximal pastin. Common changes included enlargement, increased hyperechogenicity, periligamentous fibrosis, and enthesiopathy. Interestingly, in cases where low-field MRI and ultrasonography were used concurrently, only 40% of cases with ultrasonographic confirmed pathology were noted on low-field MRI, possibly due to sensitivity issues. The authors concluded that ultrasonography, using the aforementioned additional views, should be considered before low-field MRI when considering distal sesamoid and ligament injuries. However, in four cases that were unable to undergo ultrasound due to thick skin, a combination of low-field MRI and CT was able to identify pathology. In total, 72% of cases undergoing MRI exams showed positive changes consistent with ligamentous injury. These findings included increased signal intensity, enlargement, periligamentous fibrosis, and enthesiopathy. Radiography, nucleosintigraphy, and contrastinography were largely unhelpful, although communication with the digital flexor tendon sheath and subsequent suitability tonoscopy was found in a small amount of cases. These cases, although infrequent, had an improved success rate with tonoscopy, hence illustrating its importance in the diagnostic workup. 96% of cases were followed up completely, of which 55% were sound at 12 months following injury, with roughly a third of these becoming sound after six months. Horses remaining lame after 12 months were likely to be consistently unsound. Less than a third of sound horses were able to return to their intended use, with no significant influence found on a type of ligament injured or treatment choice. A slight trend towards improved success rates of proximally injured oblique sesamoidian ligaments were found. Nevertheless, prognosis was considered guarded for return to soundness. The main limitations of the study are in its retrospective nature and its unicentric referral caseload, which instills bias and reduces some validity. Furthermore, adjunctive treatments such as tonoscopy, intralesion injections and shockwave were used so infrequently Hence, conclusions into their effect cannot definitively be made due to low statistical power. Also, lesions were not compared in all cases to gold standard high-field MRI or histopathology, although this is difficult to do both ethically and financially. Lastly, less than 10% of cases were assessed before and after injury using objective gait analysis, which means assessment of success and return to soundness was made on a subjective basis, largely by referring veterinary surgeons. To conclude, the authors have provided the largest review of cases diagnosed with oblique and straight sesamoidin ligament injuries in the literature to date. They have shown that with additional ultrasonographic views of the pastin, lesions can be identified with more accuracy than has been previously reported. Given its comparative cost, clinicians should focus on improving their ultrasonographic technique rather than relying on comparatively slightly less sensitive low-field MRI in providing a diagnosis. Despite advancing in imaging, Prognosis remains guarded and clients need to be brief on their future expectations. That concludes the review of this study and many thanks for listening to this edition of the Equine Veterinary Journal's On The Hoof podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon when we review another of the journal's early access articles. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Journal podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at 
wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash evj.